You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Oh, great to um, be together again. Did you enjoy virtual camp? Did you have a virtually good time? Did you? <laughs> Got an email from um, Chip this week. I, I think he's missing us. I think he really enjoyed his time here. And I, I, I think it was uh, on the Monday night. Um, he, just, he just shared how different um, EBC was to many of his experiences. He said, you know, often he'll, you know, he's, he does a lot of itinerant speaking and he'll visit uh, churches. And he said, even though I'm the speaker, people, people don't even, even talk to me. And he said, I, I, I just love it here. Everybody comes up and says a, says a hello and, and so forth. So I think one of our prayers was that he would be blessed by his time here, and he was. And of course, his prayer was that we would be blessed by the time that he had with us, and, and I think we were. Well, I wonder, what has been your longest or most memorable road trip? We used to do the, um, the leg between Melbourne and, and Brisbane um, a number of times over, over the years because our very, very first pastorate was up in Silkstone and yet family was in Melbourne. And uh, carting, uh, carting a family and their goods and chattels was uh, most easily done um, via car. And so we would do that long, long road trip. And a couple of years later, when we would, we would go overseas with Operation Mobilization, join the MV Doulos, um, there were times where I would just um, lie awake on a, on a Saturday morning if I had no other responsibilities and, and just dream of a road trip. We spent about 18 months in Asia. We didn't have a car of our own, and, and there was always, always people, always people. And I think I was pining for those moments where we're just, you know, on the road, in the car, just road as far as the eye could see, and, um, and just, to be, just to be back um, on a road trip. What's the longest road trip you've ever been on? What's the most memorable one? Turn to the person next to you and tell them all about it. You've got one second. No, I'll give you two. Go. All right. A prize. I won't say what the prize is. A prize for the longest road trip. Who thinks they're in, the, in contention for that? Okay, Ross, Heather. 5,715 kilometers. That would put you somewhere in the Pacific Ocean, wouldn't it? Where, which way we... <laughs> Germany, France, Switzerland, Austria. Whoa. I didn't know there was that much land there. Wow. Wow. Hat off to you, Max. Well done. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What have we got, Damien? So, what's that one? 15,000. Oh, I didn't even know you drove. <laughs> so this was illegal as well as long. <laughs> no. where, where was that, Damien? Melbourne to Darwin and back again. It's Darwin. That's in Australia, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Gudrun. Three and a half months on a tandem. months on a tandem. Now a tandem is a motorcycle with a sidecar. No. Uh, a bicycle. Bicycle. Two two seats, front and back. Who were you with all that time? Graham. Whoa. <laughs> Gudrun wins. Gudrun. <laughs> oh. Three and a half months. On a bike with Graham. <laughs> wow. <laughs> she wins. <laughs> oh, 
that, that's love, and that would be very, very good for your sanctification. We are um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a series. Let me try and tie in. It's so good to have Chip with us last week. And, uh, of course, he was talking about the kingdom of God. Now, we've been in this series on, on abide, and, and we know that we can bring God glory by, by bearing much fruit in our lives. Fruit's the inevitable result of abiding. Abiding is, is kind of um, helped along if we do it all together. We remember to be still, imitate Jesus Christ, show our devotion to one another, and be envoys of grace. The sort of fruit that Jesus is talking about in John 15 is, is, is eternal fruit. And it's not just the fruit of the Spirit in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. It's not just that. It's, it's, it's everything that is fruit that is going to have an eternal result, that is, that is lasting fruit. It could be somebody born into the kingdom. It could be the, the fruit of your life being demonstrating salt and light in, in and around the world, you know, day by day, week after week. It's, it's kingdom fruit. It's, it's really um, declaring and, and demonstrating the kingdom of God. And you remember um, uh, Chip had his little friend. I was actually going to have a shot at ventriloquism this morning. I was. I was, I was thinking, I don't know. I was, maybe tonight. I wasn't quite brave enough. And I hadn't finished making my sock puppet. Um, but... Any, but remember Junior, Chip's, Chip's little friend there, um, and, and his little, little rap. And, and rap, of course, was, was for um, what? R was for the rule of God, A was for the authority of God, and P was for the power of God. The rule, authority, and the power of God was a good way to think about the kingdom of God. And, and so Junior's little rap was, well, our job as disciples of Jesus Christ is to, is to declare and to demonstrate the the kingdom of God, D and D, the KOG, um, and through Christ who strengthens me. So, so really, that declaring and demonstrating the kingdom of God—that's that's letting our lives um, bear fruit, fruit that will last, eternal fruit, fruit for the for the kingdom. And so, as we think about that that E of being envoys of grace, this this grace is the is the grace, the goodness, the, the essence and the power of God flowing through us as he resides within us. This is the grace of God flowing through us and pouring out into the world um, in, yes, the declaration and, and the demonstration of the kingdom of God in, in, in words, actions, and so forth, um, eternal fruit. This is the, the fruitful life. And to discover or have a bit of a look or an understanding of, well, well what, is, what is grace? If we're going to be envoys of grace, what's the nature of grace? How do we understand grace? We, we sing about it. We've got so many favorite songs that have the word grace in it. We talk about grace. So we say grace to you and so forth. Well, what is grace? More than just a prayer at a mealtime, hopefully, but what is it? And so we undertook a little bit of a study, if you recall, it's a couple of weeks ago we started this, in 2 Corinthians and chapters 2 to 5. And here, Paul, the unimpressive apostle, is, is giving, as it were, a little bit of an apologetic to the church there in Corinth. And he's basically um, talking about the nature of grace. You might think I'm unimpressive. You might not think I'm the, you know, the greatest, most charismatic apostle and so forth. Here I am, just poor, but you're missing something. You're missing an understanding of what grace really is. And so 
we undertook this little study on, on the nature of grace. And this is, this is where we get to review our little picture stack. Okay, so why did you all stand with me? Look, you're, just, you're about to nod off already, weren't you? You've, that happens in a few minutes from now. Not, not yet, not yet. Stay with me. Okay, and uh, do you remember the first... Christy's right there. Do you remember the first picture was of a huge coffee cup? And in the coffee cup was a... Over the torch was a... On top of the veil was a... And it... Yeah, a clay pot or a jar of clay. We've used both, I think, haven't we? We're a bit naughty there. And then strung over that, pitched to it, was a... Ah! Look at that. We have another prop. A tent. That's right. And in the opening of the tent, we haven't got there yet, but that's all right, was a, a, a globe of the world. And standing on that was a very well-dressed person, outstretched hand. Very good. All right. Turn to the person next to you and one go all the way up with the pictures and the other person go all the way down with the pictures. Well, open up your Bibles with me, would you, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, let's read verses 1 through to 10. Awaiting the new body. We talked about the coffee cup, and that was a reminder of, of the aroma of, of Christ that permeates every believer. We talked about the, the torch, which was the, the light of God dawning in the hearts of, of those who believed. We talked about the, the veil that is over the hearts of those who do not believe, but for those who have turned their hearts towards Jesus Christ, that veil is removed from their hearts and removed from their face as well so that people can see the glory of God. We talked about the, the clay pot or the clay jar and, and how it's not much to look at, but inside that clay jar is an amazing treasure. That treasure is Jesus himself through his spirit residing within each of us. And now we come to Paul's next, next picture, which is that of a tent. Let's see what he has to say about a tent. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive what is due them for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Okay, let's, let's see if we can, we can understand this. Um, if you've had young companions with you on a very, very long road trip, you have probably had those moments where they say from the back of the car, are we there yet are we there yet palm sunday jesus was heading into jerusalem and as he came in it was hallelujah and so forth because everybody thought he had arrived 
Little did they know that he was not there yet. He had another destination in mind. He had the cross as his focal point, not the triumphant entry per se. And sometimes in the Christian life, it is possible for us to confuse our ultimate destination. And this is what happened in Corinth. Somebody in the Corinthian church yelled to everybody else, We've arrived! We're there! And guess what? They all believed it. They all believed that somehow the here and the now was the ultimate destination, that, that everything that God had for them had come to fruition in that moment. Gordon Fee calls it an over-realized eschatology, which is a bit of a technical name for thinking that, that the kingdom of God is now, and there is no not yet component, that everything has been fulfilled and consummated as it is. And that, to be quite honest, can be a little bit disappointing. And we'll get into that in a moment. But somebody in the Corinthian church had yelled while everybody else was saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Yes, we're here. And they all believed it. And so Paul has to correct that a little bit. And so he starts to tell them about the tent, the earthly tent. And he starts off by saying, okay, firstly, to understand this, we need to understand that there is the temporary and there is the eternal. And so by way of summary, if we just think about the connection, because it's all interconnected, but the connection with the with the, the jar of clay, here is, here is Paul's thinking, his logic for a minute. We're like an old jar, but inside there is a treasure. Outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed. What is seen on the outside is just temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so Paul is trying to, to move their attention from the from that which is seen to that which is unseen, that which is temporal to that which is eternal. And so eternal, he uses this image of a tent. So in verse 1, and, 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 and the arguments, we're just going to follow it through verse by verse. The argument is, is, is this, in verse 1. So currently, think of it this way. The body that you have, the body that you live in, it's, it's like an old tent. But one day you're going to get a whole new body. And that new body will be like a, like a proper house. Imagine for a moment that you had an inheritance and, and some relative who, who loved you more than anybody else left you with half a million dollars. Now, 500,000, assuming you've got your block of land, here in Australia is going to buy you a very, very nice house. You don't have to go cheap on the tiles. You don't have to go cheap on the trimmings. You can go all out. So you go to, to one of the many very, very skilled builders we have in the church, and I won't, won't mention them by name, but you'd go to one of the skilled builders and you'd say, hey, I've, I've got $500,000 and I want to build a house. Would you build it for me? I say, oh, yes, yes, we could do that. And, and uh, so, you know, there's, there's lots of dreams and plans and so forth, and, and eventually you get the phone call. So come on out to the... Coming out to the block, come and see it. And you come and you, you meet one of our trusty builders and you, you walk over the block and you're a little bit surprised. It's not, ex well, you thought it might be finished, but it obviously isn't yet because all that is there is this tent. <laughs> and 
the builder says to you, so, what do you think? And you think, well, and you're just figuring this is where they have their siesta in the afternoon. <laughs> and you're thinking, well, I kind of thought it might be finished by now. But um, you're hiding your surprise and you want to be gracious. So you say, well, I, <laughs> well, I guess, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's not everything that I might have expected. It's, um, and I say, do you see it? And you suddenly realize, oh, this is not just a builder this is a creative builder with imagination. He sees it already. He can see it on this block of land. Here's his little siesta tent. But he sees a grand vision of what the house is going to be. And will you join in? You just say, oh, yes, I see it. He says, yes. Well, well, I mean, you should be able to. It's just there. And you say, oh, wow, he really sees it. I mean, yes, I see it like it's there. This is a builder with imagination and faith. Yes, I see it like it's, like it's already there. And he says, but, but it is already there. I mean, it's right there. And you're saying, yes, it's right there. I'm, I'm with you. I believe you. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. L- literally, it's really there. Here it is. It's, it's, you can touch it. And you suddenly realize he's not talking about some big dream. He suddenly realized that somehow for your $500,000, this is what you've got. Imagine your disappointment. Do you now understand why you're disappointed in this life? This is not it. This is not the whole deal. You were never meant to be settled on on this life and the here and the now. Our expectation, our vision, our sights are set on something far grander. If you feel disappointed with this life, you are in touch with reality. It is not meant to fully satisfy. We're not there yet. And so Paul uses this image of an old tent. In fact, he says, this old tent, it's so perished. He goes on in verses 2 to 3. He says, this old tent is so perished, it's, it's like you're naked, you just don't feel right. It's, it's kind of, this is, this is not something that you want to wear for the rest of eternity. Um, in, in this, you might think of Hans Christian Andersen's old story, the, the Emperor's New Clothes. Do you know that story? The Emperor is going to get some new clothes fashioned for him. These tailors all of a sudden realize, boy, this is one scary Emperor. Who is up to such a task? And so they... Um, they, they kind of contrive together to, well, let's just pretend that we've got this beautiful new fabric and only those who are, you know, uh, of the emperor's status can see it. And, and so they pretend to fit it and, and they, ooh, ah, oh, it looks so wonderful. And, and as he's parading these new clothes, which are no clothes at all through the city, you know, stark naked, all of a sudden, some young truth in the mouths of babes, some, some young, young child says, he ain't got nothing on. And then the whole crowd realizes that, that this, is, this is so. You know, I think walking around in this life as if, hey, we've arrived. This is it. Look at me. Would be a little bit like to be the emperor with his new clothes. The truth is that, that we, just, we just have a tent for now and it's perished. And in fact, it's so perished, it's a little bit like being naked. Don't get too excited about that, that is why in verse 4, 
Paul says, this is why you are groaning for something more. You are groaning for your heavenly clothing. And the image, imagery here is swapping between a tent and a house and now being, being, being naked and being fully clothed. But, but one day we will be caught up in heaven. There we will have palatial splendor. There are houses waiting for you and for me. And when we enter into that, it will feel like we are properly clothed. We are, we are in our right bodies. We will be home. And so this is what Chip referred to um, a little bit last week about the, the now and the not yet. Yes, now, now it has already begun. I mean, the kingdom has come. We have entered into the kingdom, but it's not fully realized yet. There is a not yet component as well. It's kind of puzzling a little bit to think what was going on in the minds of the Corinthians. You know, to kind of say, you know, everything that Christ has me, it's fully realized. I think I'd kind of want to say, really? I'd be a bit disappointed. Like, that's it? This is as good as it gets? Really? I'd be a little bit disappointed. And not just disappointed because of my, my own physical body and so forth. But, well, I was expecting a little bit more from the kingdom of God. Are you? I hope so. We haven't got it all yet. We're still waiting. But we do have a, we do have a deposit. But Paul is helping the Corinthian church to understand that, that groaning sense, that, that yearning for more, which is the experience of all Christians, this side of eternity. And so Paul says, if you're just feeling a little bit like, well, that's kind of a raw deal. You're essentially saying that, that this life is not going to satisfy I don't really like the sound of that. I would like to, I'd like to feel that there could be greater satisfaction, that we could be enjoying this a little bit more. And Paul is essentially saying to the Corinthian church, well, don't, oh, oh, hang on, don't be alarmed. In, in, in fact, be confident. Don't be alarmed by this. Verse 5, don't be alarmed because this is God's plan. This is God's plan for now. And he has left you, with the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. This is his doing. And he has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. If you have a deposit, do you have it all? No, not yet. A deposit by very definition is just that, isn't it? It's a promise of something more to come. What is our deposit? Our deposit is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit who lives and resides within us. He has left us with the, the Holy Spirit as a deposit. And you can be confident that the Holy Spirit within you is a guarantee of what is to come. Now, here is, here is some, um, a reason to, to actually delight and to celebrate God's goodness. Every, every time He works in you, to bring about good fruit, that fruit is evidence that the Holy Spirit is within. And if you have the Holy Spirit within you, then you can be sure that one day that deposit will come to fruition and you will be paid in full. It guarantees that one day you will inherit all of the promises of the kingdom. It's just that that day is not yet. So Paul says in verse 5, Essentially, don't be alarmed. This is God's plan for you. And it's a good plan. And don't ever lose hope because you have the Spirit of God within you. That's a sure deposit 
that guarantees everything that is to come. Indeed, on the other hand, be confident. You should have great confidence. And here is a very, very interesting um, little rationale for our confidence. Verse 6, therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, Paul says, and would prefer to be away from the body so that we are at home with the Lord. Now, this is interesting because we know that Jesus lives within us, don't we? So in what sense are we away from the Lord? Well, we are away from the Lord in the sense that we haven't attained everything that God has for us yet. One day, we will live for all of eternity in his presence. And the reality of that will be more real than any experience you have ever had on earth. Isn't that interesting? We tend to think about the supernatural realm as some sort of, you know, ethereal, otherworldly type experience, you know, ghosts and, and things with, you know, translucent bodies and floating and, you know, and, and no, it's a reality that is far greater and surpasses and indeed fulfills our experience here on earth. This is not reality in its fullness. It's real, but it just has not yet been fulfilled. That day will come and it will make perfect sense of everything in this life that doesn't yet make sense. We will enter a reality that far transcends and surpasses our earthly experience. That's our hope. Isn't that amazing? I hope that that helps you set your eyes on things above and not on things here on earth. Temporary, eternal. The eternal has broken through to the temporary, but we're not there yet. We're still awaiting the fulfillment of all that is to come. And so Paul actually sees it as a good thing. He says, you know, frankly, to be home in the body is to be away from the Lord. I long, I just groan. And you can imagine a, a rather weary Paul saying this. I just long to go home, you know, because I know that one day I'll be away from the body. And on that day, I'm going to be so home, so home with the Lord. Can you hear his weariness? Do you feel that weariness sometimes? Yeah. That's what Paul is, is pointing the Corinthians towards. It's, it's not to be away from the body. It's not some morbid, you know, I just wish my whole life could be over. It's not that morbid sort of sense. It's more the sense of hope. It's the sense of, oh, it started, but I can't wait for my life to be completed. You see the difference? It's not the morbid, can we just be done with this? It's the hopeful, oh, I long for everything to be put right. I just want to go home, Jesus. That is filled with hope, not despair. And that's the difference. The morbid kind of, I want this whole deal to be over, that's despair. Jesus, Jesus is always delivering hope 
His take on it is, you know what? I'll get you through this, but just don't become fixated on it. Because when I get you through, when I get you home, at last home for all eternity with me, oh, you're not going to be able to believe it. Everything will be fulfilled. And so that's where Paul is, is pointing the Corinthian church. So he says in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15, verse 55, he says, So death, where is your sting? There is no sting in death. Death is, is simply that rite of passage that takes us home to be with our Lord forever and ever. So we were blessed a couple of weeks ago to have Hellenic Ministries with us. And they talked about um, Operation Joshua, and that's a, that's a, summer, a summer mission, giving out the Word of, word of God, and, and EBC have been involved in that for a few years. Our very, very first one was Operation Joshua 6. We came in a little bit late on the, on the game, but at just the right time to, to assist. And, and a small team from EBC went that year. We were staying in various accommodations, um, but but uh, Blair, I think, was um, having the camping experience, and so he was with a large number of of OJers who were just sleeping in tents. And on one particular night, or I, actually, it was in the morning that I saw Blair. He hadn't had a good night at all, had you, mate? It had been disturbed. He'd been up most of the night. Um, police, ambulances, and so forth. A, a tent not far from him had this um, lovely couple in their early forties, Adam and Pauline, and they were. They were staying in that tent, and during the night, um, Adam had a, had a massive heart attack and went to be with the Lord. So the police were caught at first, and an ambulance, and, and, uh, and it was just lots of noise and so forth, and I think Blair ended up, you know, he was, he was up and, and just, just hardly slept that night. And the next day, there was kind of the, the news as it spread throughout the campsite that the, one of the 300-plus people who had you know, come to hand out Bibles and, and be a part of the summer mission, he was no longer with us. He'd, he'd gone home to be with the Lord. His wife, Pauline, is obviously, obviously grieving. This dear couple for, from South Africa, they'd come a long way to, to Greece to hand out the word of God. And, and yet towards the end of the, end of the OJ, a few, few days later, Pauline was given just an opportunity to speak. And she said, you know whilst taking in and acknowledging the loss of her husband, this is exactly the way Adam would have wanted to go. He didn't have his eyes fixed on this life. He knew where he was going. It was just a matter of when. And really, if I know Adam, and she did, there could be, there could be no, no greater timing to go home to be with the Lord than whilst being on mission, doing something that was going to last for all of eternity, handing out the word of God, this would have been the way he wanted to go. You see, she understood that Adam that night had simply left the tent. He'd left the tent. He'd, he'd gone home. He no longer had any use for, for this, this old earthly tent. He'd gone home to that mansion, that, that beautiful house that was awaiting him, the, the one that he was really made for. 
The tent was empty, but there was hope. And Paul is just saying, it's, folks, it's, it's just a tent. It's just a tent. It's what you see, but it's temporary. We're actually awaiting a, a far greater home. When, when you enter this home with its palatial splendor, you will feel clothed. You'll feel right. Finally, you'll feel you've come home. It'll be just like that. So, so you can be confident that to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And then Paul tackles one remaining question. That is, if it's just a tent, does it matter? Does it matter how we live now? Does it, does it really matter how we live the life in this body? Because this, this body, this tent, I mean, it's just going to be trashed and thrown away, huh? I mean, what's the big deal? If, if, if we leave the tent and we go home for our palace one day, why not just live it up a little? Why not just kind of loosen, loosen the straps and kind of, kind of have some fun? And, and that's what some in the Corinthian church were tempted to do. And so Paul answers this last question by saying, so in light of this, in light of the fact that we just have this tent for now, we're waiting our, our home in heaven, in light of all of that, how should we then live? It's the old Francis Schaeffer question. In other words, does it matter how we live in this life. And the hint or the answer of how Paul tackles this is found for us in verse 9. In verse 9, we read, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Whether we're at home in the body or away from the body, it should make no difference. Paul is essentially saying, live to please God, whether you're at home in the body and away from the Lord, or at home with the Lord and accordingly away from the body. It should make no difference. Make no difference whatsoever. Either way, whether you're, whether you're at home in the body or at home with the Lord, live to please Him. Live to please God always. For there will be a judgment, he goes on in verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive what is due them for the things done while in the body. The things that we do while in the body, good or bad, will receive their due reward or punishment. Yes, the things done in the body, the life that we have in the body, it does matter. The here and the now, it does matter. This is where the kingdom fruit should should be producing the sort, of, the sort of life that is going to bring God glory. Yes, the here and the now matters. And one day, when we face our king and our judge, we'll receive our due reward for that, for the things which are done in the body. So whether home or away, here or now, we live to please the Lord. We make it our goal to please him. Um, what does that look like? That, that kind of is that day-to-day -day walk. It's, it's that keeping in step with the Spirit. It's the realizing Jesus within you and, 
And in a given situation where you, you're wondering how you should respond or what to do, it's that, that turning to Jesus and saying, what would please you in this situation? What would please you in this, in this moment? And, and then when you get caught off guard for some reason or another and you, 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 know, you say something that you wish you didn't or you're doing something which you wish you didn't or you're thinking something which you, you wish you weren't and whatever it is, it's, it's in that moment saying, taking that captive and thinking, all right, hang on. It's kind of that old lasso, bring it in. And okay, what would please you in this moment, Lord? It could be confession, it could be repentance, it could be whatever it is, but it's living that life which moment by moment is pleasing the Lord and, and having that attentiveness to wanting to please the Lord. And keeping that question at the fore, forefront of our mind, Lord, what would please you in this moment? In other words, I think what Jesus wants of us is, though we live in a tent, live as if it's a palace. You know you were made for more. You know that this isn't it. You know that there is a palace awaiting you. You know that there is a home in heaven, and that's what you were made for. You know that as the son and a daughter of the king, you are essentially royalty. You know that you were made for more. You know that one day you're going to enjoy all of that. You know that. Live like it. Okay, for now, we've just got a tent. But live like it's a palace. In essence, you know what we are? We're royalty in a tent. We're royalty in a tent. It doesn't look that impressive, but we know who we are. We know who we belong to. We know what we were made for. An empty tent at the foot of an empty cross will always be overshadowed by the hope of glory. It's a picture in one sense of what Paul is saying in this passage. And so Jesus, the good shepherd, he can be trusted to lead you home. Heather had a word during our worship before and it felt to me very, very fitting to close on. She just said, it seems to be this morning that there's someone who needs to know that Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, is not going to use his rod against him, her. He uses it against the predatory enemies who would approach with malicious intent. Jesus says, it's safe to come to me. Come, I will set you free. Come. And receive all that my Father has entrusted to me to pour out into your life. Come in surrender to me and watch what I will do. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd and he will lead you home. And if you ever, ever, ever have a doubt about that, look to the empty cross. 
There is your evidence. He's home, and he'll get you home as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to just acknowledge that you are indeed the good shepherd. We want to thank you for the tent that you've provided for us to to get around in this lifetime. But Lord, we, we groan, we ache, we long for something more, for the fulfillment of your, of your purposes and all of your kingdom promises. We long for heaven. We long for you. We long for that day when this world will no longer be marred by sin, but will be redeemed perfectly by your loving hands where there will be a new genesis, as it were, a new creation with a stamp of that perfect order which everything that you touch has. We long for that. All of creation groans, we groan, we all long for you to put things right once more. And it is right to do so. We thank you that where there is an empty cross. We can have the wonderful assurance that our hope is not in this world or in the tent in which we live. One day this tent will be empty as well, but we will be home with you. This is your promise to us. It gives us great hope. We thank you for this, for all of your promises. We love you, Lord. We delight in you and celebrate all that you have done and all that you will do. In your precious name, amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.